Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Team Building Podcast. This is the place where you learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market or any market and any time. Uh, we live in strange and interesting times. We've got an awesome training episode to share with you today that I think is very pertinent because it is very easy to get distracted. And one of the ways to procrastinate or take your eye off the ball, uh, so to speak, is to focus on low-income producing tasks because they are easier mentally and emotionally from the things that produce higher value. And so in the training that we're going to share, we're going to go over with Jeff and, and the team how to earn more by eliminating low income producing tasks. And so if you are leading a team right now, just realize that that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to manage every aspect of your team. Everything does not have to be on your plate. Every decision does not have to go through you. You have to have leverage. Leverage is essential for scaling and running any successful business and applies just as much in real estate teams. So we're gonna talk about how do we hire people we can confidently trust, who to hire first, how to hire the right person for the job, uh, and how to work out which tasks should be leveraged. Um, I think this is going to be one of the most important trainings you might ever listen to for the future growth and ultimate wealth building uh, of your business and your personal life because the process of figuring out what are your highest value tasks and getting everything else off of your plate is really not only one of the keys to freedom, but it's one of the keys to making big wealths in your own personal income and wealth building. So without further ado, here are the guys. I'll jump out of the way and this is the latest training episode of the Team Building Podcast. Okay, let's dive in. So <clears throat> I'm only gonna spend about 15 minutes today kind of teeing up the topic for the rest of the month. Um, the topic is leveraged roles. Um, obviously, you can leverage everything. Um, and a great book that speaks to this is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Colincioni. Show of hands, who's read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team? So less than half the group, Matt has, Matt's read it. He's ignoring me, evidently. Matt, Mick, you haven't read Five Dysfunctions of a Team? I think he muted me. Yeah. So the book essentially kind of has a pretend, you know, narrative of an organization where there's people that are inside the organization that are toxic. And it talks about making sure as a leader, we're in the right role and we have the right people. So it's exactly to the point of what the month of July is going to cover. We actually required everyone on our team back in what, Andy, 2013 to read the book. And then we had a book club to talk about the book. And I pretty much told everyone, if you don't read the book, you're going to be off the team. I wanted everyone to understand the book culturally. And there was literally a person who read the cliff notes. I asked him a direct question about the character that was the negative salesperson whose name was Mickey and asked this person to tell me the name of the negative person in the book, which everyone would know the name of the person. And he didn't know the name. And we fired him the next week because he lied about reading the book. And so it's just so evident after you read this book and the one thing and you start reading several books about leadership, it's so evident who the right people are and who the wrong people are. So the challenge is knowing who the right people are. So when it comes to leverage roles, knowing who the right people are is the first, you know, the first step, which isn't easy. A lot of people will come out to our workshop and they always say, Andy, 
mute, please, so you don't hear this, but they always say, I wish I had an Andy, or I wish I had a Kevin, or I wish I had a Clayton. Literally all my staff, they say, I wish I had someone like Clint Barlett to run my investment company, and a person like Samantha to run my admin staff. <clears throat> and none of that stuff just happened, right? I had been I personally had been looking for talent ever since I got in the business because I didn't want to do everything forever. And so that's why early on, not intending to build a coaching company, not intending to have a podcast, not intending to, you know, grow nationally the way we have, we started sharing with people our business plan, which was simply what we had done. So if you go to, you know, growwithers.com, and I know it's in the ERS drive as well, you can just look at our business plan, which gets into leveraged roles. So the first leveraged role that all of us should already have is a full-time transaction manager or office manager or transaction coordinator. There's a lot of different names for this role. Um, out of show of hands, who in the group does not have someone right now? They're doing everything themselves. And you don't need to be embarrassed. I'm just curious if anyone's at that point right now where you don't have someone doing your files, you're doing it all yourself. You write a contract, you turn it in, you dot the I's, cross the T's, go on the inspections, go to closing, go to, you know, you're doing it all. Nobody in the room is doing it all? Okay, well, that's great. So for those that have a transaction coordinator, would you agree that was your first hire? Is my business plan correct? That's the first hire. So the, the reason we did that, and I'm gonna dumb it down a little bit, and then we'll get into additional roles. The reason I hired a transaction coordinator, and I've told this story a lot on my podcast, is I started to figure out what I was worth per hour. So my first year selling real estate was 2007. I netted $96,000. I had no overhead. I was doing expired and FISBO, door knocking, open houses, and netted 96000 But I was finding myself not filling out the rest of the paperwork that the office required until the commission check came in. So like a high D, I literally wouldn't turn in my paperwork until they said, hey, Jeff, you have seven checks waiting for you that total 20,000. And then I'm like, fine, I'll spend a night at the office and I'll get all the paperwork done. Well, I quickly learned if I make 96 grand a year that, and I work you know, 50, 50 weeks out of the year and average 40 hours a week, I'm making around $50 an hour. So if I can hire someone for 13 an hour or even 30 an hour to do all my paperwork, it's gonna release me to go out and do higher income producing activities. I started that practice in 2006 and now today it's 2020, 14 years later and I still run that through my mind. With every activity I do, even in charitable activities, if it's not a monetary compensation, am I doing the most good with this one hour of charity that I'm offering or is there something I can do better? So I hired my transaction coordinator knowing that by paying them $15 an hour, they got 30 grand a year. It was a third of my income which show me a 23 year old that makes a hundred grand and then takes a third of their income and puts it towards a role that hopefully is going to make them more money. And the next year I did 40 deals. And then the next year I did 60 deals. And then the next year I continued to grow. And so my next leveraged position was an operations person. I was always in the weeds, like with the website and lead generation and social media campaigns. And I always did a horrible job at it because I was out still servicing. So my first hire was a full-time transaction coordinator. And then my second hire was an operations manager. And that role is actually kind of unique. I don't see a lot of people hire that out, especially earlier on. Um, but I needed somebody that was essentially me on the back office, not dot and I's crossing T's, but doing all the other marketing. Um, this Kevin was the first hire that I had in that capacity and is still doing that part-time for us today. And in that role, he initially was hired to just do pictures and video. And then I quickly saw he could run our Excel spreadsheet and track analytics. And then I saw he could oversee my admin because I didn't want to be the one who had to have a, my, I didn't want my direct report to be a transaction coordinator. I wanted to be the operations manager who then managed my transaction management team. 
And so Kevin did awesome in that role and we grew really quick. Um, and the only other role I continued to assume was success manager. So every agent that was taking leads we would generate, I would meet with them every week. And I believed in this from the beginning. So we launched the team in 2011. Kevin came on in 2010. I had a, two full-time transaction coordinators. I had my mom and dad as agents on our team. And then in 2011, I decided I wanted to build um, a, a world where I could essentially exit the business if I wanted to within 20 years. That was kind of like my long-term plan and start building a team around me. Of course, I did it in three years because things grew way faster than I anticipated. And I served in the first two to three years as the full-time success manager in addition to servicing deals because I sold for three years until 2014. Andy was the, I would say out of everyone in the organization, I felt like Andy, who's with us now is our success manager and owner and coach. Um, he did the best at plugging into the systems that we trained. Um, he had the highest lead conversion with internet leads. He followed up with the leads the way he was supposed to. Obviously, I was meeting with him every week and I was meeting with all the agents every week. And he had just really hit the ground running and had built really good rapport with the agents. People looked up to him because they were impressed by how well he was doing working Boomtown, you know, working our CRM and actually doing what he's supposed to be doing, reading the books, listening to the podcast, growing as a person. Culturally, he was a fit. And so I offered him an opportunity to come on board and take over those one-on-ones for me because I was meeting every agent every week for 15 minutes. So today, and just flash forward and then I'll go back to that, I've always said the top two leveraged roles literally should just be the things you spend the most amount of your time doing. And for me at the time, outside of selling real estate, it was the back office business, so that's operations, and then the front office business, which is the manager of your agents. So I hired Kevin and Andy to essentially do everything. And my reasoning was I wanted to be able to leave town for two weeks, five weeks. I went to Costa Rica for five weeks and I believe, Andy, you guys were on board when we took that trip. I think it was right after launching the team in fall of 2011, I took my family for five weeks to Costa Rica. And Kevin and Andy ran the team. And I put myself in a position where if I wanted to leave, I had the ability and flexibility because I had watched my mom. She got into the business when I was in first grade. And I remember our family couldn't go on family trips because my mom had a closing or she had to service a client. And I see agents do that all the time. Oh, I couldn't go. I have a closing. I'm like, closing you're going to your closing you're going to your walkthrough you're going to the home inspection why are you physically doing anything because the money made in real estate is prospecting for leads and getting sellers to sign listing agreements and buyers to sign exclusive agency that's where the money's made the rest should be leveraged can be leveraged and so early on i adopted this idea of having these two main leveraged positions so over the next couple of weeks, as we kind of go down the rabbit hole, we'll talk a lot about the success manager role and how I held Andy accountable to holding the agents accountable. And we'll talk about the operations manager role and how I held the operations manager or the office manager accountable to holding the admin staff accountable and all the other functions internally of the office. And the best part of what came out of this, and I want to kind of paint a picture for everyone of what I get to experience today is people ask me questions all day, every day. I get peppered. Even though we've trained people not to ask me questions, there's actually a person designated to ask questions too, depending on what the question is. I even have messages from people in this group. So you guys, I already see people smirking where they'll text me, hey, you know, what, what did you guys decide here? What are we doing there? And my response today is always, that's an Andy question. That's a Clayton question. That's a Matt Mitt question. You know, that's a Renee question. Renee's our designated broker. Um, and I don't have to answer any questions. I have the answers, just like I know all of you do. I have the answers to most of the questions. My goal is to not have the answers. I want to get so far removed that I couldn't answer the question, even if I wanted to. But there's something, and I'll share this with you, that you might not know about as we all self-actualize. There's something called an endorphin. 
And that endorphin is a motion that we get to have. It's an emotional response to solving people's problems and to being that person. And a lot of times we delineate or denote our self-worth based on our ability to help people solve problems. So we continue to choose to service buyers. We continue to choose to service sellers. We continue to answer everyone's questions and to be their supporting arm for every story they want to tell and every emotion that they ever have. And we do it because it helps fill us. There's some type of a need inside of us that wants to be that person. Well, in 2014, 2013, I came to a point, I've told this fluffy cat story where I had to have a come to Jesus with our whole group and say, no longer am I that person. I'd done it enough. I'd gone through it enough. That has to be somebody else. You can't come to me anymore for that unless you want to come work out with me in the morning, which some people in this group do, um, or go take me to lunch or whatever, then I'm there for you. But otherwise it's somebody else's responsibility. And so I project this question hypothetically to the group. How many people right now are you doing that for? Are you playing counselor? Are you solving all the real estate problems? but yet you're not getting to keep a majority of the commission. Are you, you know, solving all of their ish, the challenges that they're having with this other ancillary business that they launch? I mean, it's endless. You, you play counselor and Andy came on in a part-time capacity back in early 2012, 13, something like that. And I started him off just paying him $50 a deal. And when Kevin launched with me, it, I, he came in at 1200 a month plus $50 a deal is how I compensated. And I had caps on both of them at hundred grand or something like that. So Andy just worked part-time until how long ago, Andy, three, four years ago. And then he kind of took over a full-time role. You're muted. He took over the full-time role of meeting with every agent every week. And I got to kind of step out of that. And a lot of people ask like, what happens to those relationships? Right? So originally I had a transaction coordinator that reported to me. Now they have to report to Kevin. How's that going to go? And you know, agents typically reported to me. Now they have to report to Andy. How's that going to go? And there's people that sold more than Andy who had been on our team longer than Andy. And now Andy is holding them accountable. And so there were some challenges and growing pains. There continue to be. Not everyone likes Andy, surprisingly. Not everyone liked me, right? Surprisingly. And that's okay. You don't have to win every single person, but they have to understand fundamentally that there's going to be a weekly consistent meeting. And then I personally would hold Andy accountable every week for an hour and he'd run me through every agent, which we don't do that anymore. And then I would hold Andy, uh, Kevin accountable and he'd run me through how, you know, what are the challenges? What are the issues? And we had that alignment meeting created. So from a direct report standpoint inside of a residential real estate office, for me, the goal is just having two people. And that usually surprises people. They think they need to manage five, six, seven people. You need an operations person that's your back office and you need a front end person who works with your agents. And then they can manage three or four people or five people. And that's two positions. And you don't have to pay salary. You can pay bonuses. And you can use people that you already have internally to work in those roles. Andy was an agent and continued selling full time. Right, Andy? Until you came in full-time with us, you sold full-time while serving for 20 hours a week, making that 50 bucks a deal and holding agents accountable. And Andy and I have had a lot of questions about why did he do that? Because he knew he could make more money. Even today, Andy would make more money selling real estate, as much hours as he puts into all these other ventures. But Andy wasn't focused on what the money was that he made today. He was focused on what the opportunities were and the money that could possibly be generated in the future residually without him having to go on appointments or him meeting with agents, or him having to be present. And that's my war cry across the country, what I talk about on the podcast and on every stage, is challenging audiences to think of their businesses as a business and not as a job. And to put themselves in a position where maybe they'll own more than one team in one city, they'll have seven teams in one city, maybe they'll own businesses outside of real estate. Uh, put yourself in a position where if you constantly are leveraging up, you're making more money, less time, less energy. You're making more money per hour by creating this little leverage piece in your world. And it's a lot simpler than 
I think people believe. So the last story I'll share, when I when we came over from our indie, we were the number one team in Nebraska for about three or four years consecutively at an indie brokerage, and we joined Berkshire Hathaway. They recruited us over. And we were doing these high-level team masterminds that lasted like six months, and then there were too many egos, and we ended up not doing it anymore. But one of the people, we were going around the room kind of introducing ourselves, and one of the top agents in Omaha, she was like, probably one of the top agents for the last 20 years. She said, I could never be like Jeff Cohn. I would never want all that responsibility. I wouldn't want all those you know, questions. I wouldn't want to have to manage all these people because everyone perceived, you know, we have a team of 30 that I'm the one doing everything to keep this team of 30 going. And I said to her, I, I, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't do anything. And semantically, obviously I'm doing things just not inside the real estate team. And she said, what do you mean? And everyone's faces are like, what do you, you don't do anything. What are you talking about? I said, I hired a manager. The word manager denotes like somebody else that's responsible for managing the people. And I hold that manager accountable. I said, I have one hour, a one hour meeting a week. And if there's a 9-11, you know, emergency, Andy can call me anytime. Of course, an agent could call me as well if there's an emergency. But for the most part, the stress was off my back. It wasn't hard. And so I hear the number one rebuttal why people don't start teams is they don't want to have to manage a lot of agents. And the answer is in the, the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Hire a manager. They don't want to prospect. Hire a prospector. They don't want to work transaction coordination, hire a transaction coordinator, hire a sign runner, hire an accountant, hire a marketing team, a digital marketing team. Every role can be hired. The truth is you don't want to have to think. The truth is people don't want to have to improve themselves as a leader to put themselves in a position where they can create leverage in their world. Anything you've chosen to up to this point not leverage is because of a lie you tell yourself every day. It is not possible. It's the e-myth that's covered in the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book. Can't happen. Doesn't work in my market. It's not possible. Well, not true. It is possible. You just have to make it work. And for you, you have to figure out what works for you. So what worked for me and the order in which I did things might be entirely different than someone else. What I challenge everyone in our group to do here and as a thought leader across the country is to just try it, right? Be willing to take a hundred bucks off every deal and give it to someone and see how it works and never enter into a permanent employment position. Have people come on for 30, 90, you know, 30, 90, 180 days, whatever it might be and say, hey, let's test this out. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't work, no hard feelings. If it does work and it's a huge success, then bam, you've got your Andy, you've got your Kevin, you've got your Clayton. So that puts us a little over time. Um, thank you for your COVID reports. For anyone that needs to go, I appreciate you guys hanging out. The next three weeks, we're going to be covering how to pay those positions, the best ways to compensate, what metrics we're tracking as the owner when we have one-on-ones with our direct reports so that there's traction week after week, how to track what happened last week, what's going to happen next week, so that I could go on a five-week trip and I knew and felt comfortable just with this little one-hour alignment meeting, all the things were happening that I would have wanted happening if I was the one in those roles. And that's the last point that I think is so pertinent is that I had served in every role. So there's not a leveraged role that I have today that I didn't already do full-time. Think about that. There's not a leveraged role that I have today that I didn't once do on my own full-time. Um, lawn, keep taking care of my lawn. I mowed my own lawn for about three years when I finally moved into a house in 2007. Till 2010, I mowed my own lawn personally. And I mowed a lawn growing up for my parents, but I mowed my own lawn for three years. And then I realized I had a neighbor who owned a lawn service that told me he'd do it for five bucks a mow. $5 to do my yard because he had a riding on where he could do it in like 10 minutes. He's like, just give me five bucks. It'll cover the gas. I'll just do it to hook you up. I still use him today. He gets $75 a mow today. I own three acres and have a big lot that he mows and takes care of. Point being is I learned if I could spend five bucks and have him mow the lawn, it took me an hour start to finish and I'm worth 50 bucks an hour. What am I doing? So what are the things in your lives that you're doing 
that are $5 an hour work or $15 an hour work or $50 an hour work. And you know that if you focus on the highest income producing activity, which as you grow as a leader, it's hiring leaders and looking for talent. Right now, my highest income producing activity is listing presentations on homes over half a million. And I turn it over to somebody else to work at a 75% referral fee. I retain 75%. I got paid out 80 grand last week on a house doing it that way. Per hour, I think I made 30,000 an hour probably on this house. My second highest income producing activity is hiring talent, direct reports. Third highest income producing activity is recruiting. So I'm in a capping model, 25 grand a year per agent. That's going to make, imagine, instead of selling one house and making 25 grand, you hire one capping agent and they stay with you for 10 years. You're making 25 grand a year after year after year. So we start thinking about where, if we could put all of our energy in one place, where is it? And each of us have to answer that question. And where you put your energy today doesn't have to be the same place because eventually you'll become the expert and you should hopefully hire someone and then you elevate to the next level and then the next level. But you have to constantly continue to grow yourself as a leader to be able to do that. So I got into a lot there. There's some mindset, um, leveraged roles. Obviously, a lot of you already have leveraged roles. It's just kind of a changing the thinking and the dichotomy around that and making sure that we're all in our highest income producing activity. So if you guys have to go, thank you for get, uh, staying on up to this point. Andy's going to be diving in next week into uh, more uh, specifics regarding our leveraged roles, how we pay them, and how we hold people accountable. And I'm available for Q&A for the next 20 minutes. All right, we're going to start with Daryl. Go ahead, Daryl. Uh, what you're just speaking of right now, you say your three most uh, income producing activities. What was number one and two again? Yeah, I would say number one is listing presentations okay. still. So 30000 an hour, 20000 an hour, it just depends on the price point. But if I'm going on a million dollar list pres in our market, we're keeping 3.6. That's $36,000. And I'm keeping 75% of it. And my list press takes me an hour. So I just go with another listing agent. They come with me. I tell the seller that I'm not their agent. I'm just there to set up the price and the marketing. And then I say, hey, you're going to sign with this seller, this selling agent that's with us. And I walk out and say, if you ever need me, call me, but don't ever call me. And then we all laugh. And I say, no, seriously, don't ever call me. <laughs> and they never do. So that's my number one. Number two is recruiting talent. So every person I ever meet, the question isn't what business do I have that they'd make a good fit in? The question is what business should I start that they'd make a good fit in? And so I've partnered with a lot of different people across a lot of different industries uh, because I felt like they were a good fit for a certain business venture. Of course, mm -hmm. I want to create all the synergies I can. We talked about that last week in the ancillary business talk, but always looking at someone and saying, what's their highest income producing activity? That's the true leader, right? We can right. see the full potential in our kids. Can you see the full potential in your listing coordinator? Should they be a listing coordinator or should they be your office manager or should they be the CEO? Or should you empower them to leave your company altogether and go start an expansion location or quit real estate to go start a beauty salon? How good are you at judging talent? And then how are you how can you empower them financially, educationally to help them be the best version of themselves? Because to me, that's what a true leader is. Right. right. As a true leader, we're putting ourselves in a position where we have the ability to help others become the best versions of themselves. We're not living in a scarcity mindset, which is the traditional brokerage and traditional corporate America, where we keep people under our thumb and control them until the end of their career and they retire at 70 and have 150 grand in their 401k. 
and they never lived a full life. So for me, a big part of success is helping others be the best versions of themselves. Not everyone can be me, not everyone can be you, and that's not our goals. All of us are gonna achieve different at different levels. My goal is that each person can look back on life and say, I gave it a really good run. I, I don't have regrets. I gave it everything I could. I tried everything I could. Some things didn't work, some things did, but at least I tried rather than staying at my eight to five job like most people do until they retire, go through 19 eight to five jobs, but they never tried to launch the restaurant. They never tried to get a real estate license. They never invested in their first house. And so all I want to do is help somebody do that next little thing because the little thing turns into a bigger thing, turns into a bigger thing, and it literally will change people's lives. So for me, what's most fun, and it's cliche because I hear so many people say it, but it's true, there comes a point where it's not about the money in a bank account. It's about the impact and the influence that you create on people. And what feeds me isn't the money. I need the money. If it wasn't there, I wouldn't be doing all of this, obviously, because it gives me the freedom. But what feeds me is the influence and the impact. So watching Clayton Mulford have his first baby, watching Clayton take his dad fishing in Alaska, watching Shanice swim in the ocean for the first time and literally helping her. She almost drowned me. Watching, I watched Shanice ride a horse for the first time. She'd never ridden a horse. So like watching people checking things off their vision boards jacks me up. Change, it's literally changing lives. It's not just the changing lives bro code you hear people talk about. It's literally changing people's lives. And as a leader, we've all seen that, right? So now it's not about changing five people's lives. I want to change hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And so the question is how big of a leader is someone? And I judge a leader, a leader based on the impact and influence that they have around the thing that they're experts at. So you look at Michael Jordan, he did all of that and became an expert for himself. He never in a million years intended to be the best basketball player in history and to have huge impact on tons of other athletes in a ton of different areas. And now there's documentaries about it. I'm like, he never thought it was going to get to that, right? You never planned for that. So think of yourselves, each of us, how far can we go? What impact can we create for our families, for the people that come after us, for the people that work in our, in our world? What other worlds can we build? you know, with the ancillary business ventures that you might get into, who, who will you partner with? And you can't know where you're going to be in 30 years, nor is that the goal. The best thing that we can do individually is become the best version of ourselves today, tomorrow, quarterly, monthly, yearly, and be consistent with small and simple things over long periods of time. And that's what's going to get us the big results at the end. So I, I made the mistake of reading the top five regrets of the dying when I was 22. Most people pick up that book probably when they're like 80. Ship has sailed at 80. I mean, for the most part, no offense. So I wanted to pick that book up early so that I could look at my life and say, am I on the path to not have regrets? More always gonna have regrets, but am I on the path to mitigate my regrets? And I can honestly say yes. I mean, once you've got, to me, I think our number one goal should be, and this is more mindset, and you guys can raise your hand and interrupt me if I'm just going, but I'm having fun. I think that it's our job and our onus is on us to leave our family with a better life than what we grew up with. So I can already check that box. I was the first one in my family to have a college education, first one to go on a mission trip, first one to own a luxury car, first one to have, be a Boy Scout, first one to be a millionaire. I did a lot of firsts, which to me is successful. Now, some of us might never be able to mount up to who, who came before us and just become a better version in the ways that are important to you. It's all based on what we think and our perception. But that's what I want for each person is to become the best version of themselves based on what their perception is of what success is. And that's another challenge is figuring out what truly is success. I think a lot of people think it's money-based because we always talk about money as a society. And then they make the money and realize the money has nothing to do with it. They buy the bigger house and realize, oh, it's just a bigger house and more toilets to clean. Right? They lose 100 pounds and go, oh, 
not that big of a deal to be a hundred pounds lighter or gain 50 pounds of muscle or run a marathon. Oh, I ran it. The fun isn't arriving. The fun is the journey getting there and the bigger goals you set, the longer the journey will take. And I think it'll be more fun of a ride. I joked with Renee Mueller. She came on as a coaching client two years ago with ERS and now we're partners in KWLE. And literally when she came on, I was sitting by my pool most days working from the pool, just relaxing. Life was good. And now it's like things are insane. Launched a brokerage, leveled up. I could have choose, I could have chosen to stay in the life of laying by the pool. Life is good and just worked a leveraged world. I could have done that the rest of my life financially, but that wouldn't have been, that certainly wouldn't have created the most influence for other people. And because of that, because I knew that I could have more impact on more people and change, help people change their own lives. I would have had a regret that I was selfish and quit at only influencing a thousand lives when I had the capacity of influencing 5,000 lives. So that was a lot. Great question, Daryl. Next. <laughs> Well, that's a wrap. Appreciate you guys coming today. Have a great day. Go change someone else's lives. Be an influencer. Now we got about 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes. You guys can ask anything you want. Um, it can be on topic, off topic. There's no rules as you saw in my tangent. So whatever you want to talk about, feel free to ask Sam first and then Daryl, you'll be on deck. What are you, what's your opinion on partnerships in building a team? You know, it's a struggle, I think. Um, decision making is the biggest challenge. So if you're ever going to create a partnership, make sure you have the controlling decision. You don't have to have the, the majority of ownership. A lot of people think because you have a majority of a company that that gives you the decision making, you can actually have zero ownership of a business, but have a hundred percent of the decision making power. So if you're going to enter into a partnership, make sure that one plus one equals five. Most of the teams that we've looked at and Andy and I've talked about this at length, it's one plus one equals two. And the challenge with one plus one equals two is when, what, what do you do when person number one decides they don't want to work anymore? Do they still own 50%? What if they're working half as much as person number two? Nobody I've ever met is wired like me. So I had a very hard time partnering, especially as a 50-50, feeling like I was going to do five times as much work as them. I'm working all the time, nights, weekends. My brain is always spinning. Are, is their brain spinning? How do you check in with your partner at 9 p.m., text them and say, are you thinking about the business right now or are you off shutting off? Like, it just depends what your goals are. I'm fine with partnerships. You just got to make sure the person you choose to partner with, is there another way where you don't have to give them ownership? Maybe it's a rev share. Maybe it's better salary. Maybe it's a bonus. My suggestion is do everything you can to not make them an equity partner because it just it gets muddy. It gets, it's problematic. What if I have a friend who went through a divorce recently who owned a big portfolio of houses with me. Well, there was nothing in there with a buy, sell, or any type of arrangement where what happens if you go through a divorce? So his wife got a fourth of our portfolio. Well, that creates a problem for my investment company when that happens because now I have to find a way to pay her over the next three years and it bleeds money out of our business. So there's lots of issues that can come up. Um, and it's a, it's a loaded question. It just depends is the better answer. But I would try, I would try as often as you can to not give ownership unless you have to. And I know a lot of you own, own businesses and have partners. Does anyone disagree or does anyone agree or does anyone have anything else they'd want to add to that question? It gets asked a lot and I know it comes up a lot, right? Raise a hand. Anyone want to speak to if you should have a partner, Bill? Unmute yourself real quick. Top right corner. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. that uh, a lot of your uh, business relationships seem to be structured differently than just a straight partnership. 
I think you're right on. I think the uh, equal share partnership has not has never worked in my life, and has always ended up in in, in some level of headaches. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Anyone else have any thoughts, feelings? So like, here's an example. I wanted to own an insurance company, but I didn't want to go out and get my insurance license. So I partnered with someone else to own the insurance company and he owns 40 and I own 40. And then we brought in other strategic partners. I don't own a majority of that company. I do have a majority of the decision-making for that business because no one has a larger share than me. And I couldn't have owned that business without the partner. Okay, so I obviously had to bring in a partner on that particular venture. You might be in a situation as well, let's say your real estate company, if it made a builder that builds 300 houses a year, let's say they want 5% ownership of your real estate team. Well, that probably makes sense. As long as it's a B share, which is a non-decision-making share, um, they have 5% and they're in a B share position, I don't see why you wouldn't do it because again, that's the one plus one equals 10. The problem is when it's truly, you look at all your skill sets and it's you're the same person, you're just doubling up the same person, it's going to end in a problem probably. All right. On deck, Daryl. I think, I think Daryl's on deck. I uh, just want another title of a book. I think it's called Top Five Regrets. There's the Top Five Regrets of the Dying, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Those are the two we talked today about. The one that I think really empowered me to think more is the impact I could create on the world, um, which got me away from laying by the pool every single day and made me go through this whole process of growing again and again and again. And that's what life is, right? It's uh, we get to our comfort zone and then we have to break through some type of new barrier, which creates pain, which creates growth. And then you start over and over and over. If you want to grow as a person, if you've arrived, then you just never will grow and, and you're stagnant, which is what happens to 99% of people. Uh, the book that helped me helped influence me to become more of an influencer and why I went national. Cause I could have stayed local my whole life. Why I chose to take it to a podcast, which put me kind of in a national light was um, the dream manager. And it literally talks about helping manage people's dreams, helping people realize their dreams and taking more ownership than just how much money do you want to make? Oh, a hundred thousand. Okay. We'll offer you a job for a hundred thousand. That doesn't change lives because most people, don't know what to do with the hundred thousand or the million or whatever it is that they're generating, or they don't know how to use your company as a stepping stone. I'll let an agent come in and leave in a year. If that makes sense for them. We're going to always do what's best for the agent to help them make more money and less time with less energy. And if that means they have to leave my organization to go to another one or to change what they're doing as a career. Great. Congratulations. High five, go crush it in a different industry. All right. I got about five minutes, a couple more questions. Comments, thoughts, feelings? All right, Amanda, go ahead. So I'm not for sure that this is the place, so cut me off if it's not. But it's the place on, for anything. Okay, good. I had heard uh, somewhere about um, Homes for Heroes. So I looked into that program as a, um, I, my background is a 911 dispatcher, married to a cop, my kid's going to be a cop, all that stuff military so it's just aligns perfect with leads for me and people that I work with unfortunately that program is um, uh, exclusive and my zip codes are tied up and mm -hmm. so when I can't find what I'm looking for I create it. and so then I started to put together how can I do something like this forget that program but just target that uh, career field 
mm-hmm. and advertise that and build relationships and whatnot. Yep. And I took it to my brokers and I have two for each side of or each state. And they poo pooed me saying that it's discriminatory, that I can't advertise well, that I'm who are you going after? What's the demographic? Military? Police, military, teachers, healthcare. Because I'll, you know, if I put out there like, hey, save big when you buy or sell with me and put their careers out there, it's yeah. discriminatory. I did. Does anyone agree with that? I don't, I've never heard that as a protective class. Uh, <laughs> Vince has a comment. Go ahead, Vince. Yeah, they just made it a law in Maryland. We can no longer give any special anything because of course we're big military here right right outside. wow that's crazy anything special from and for a certain I'm, career nothing because yeah, they, they always have like doctor dentist attorney loans in the mortgage world i wonder if that's gonna go away as well they say the mortgage industry is getting hit next here um, interesting so i'm i'm the same thing i have military and police so can you son. say you like working with military families you can but you cannot offer anything a discount anything yeah, wow, that's interesting. Anything different. Yep. Anyone else have a comment on this? I've never heard this come up before. This is the first time I've ever learned that you couldn't offer a special deal to somebody, you know, from a certain club. You could say like your CrossFit friends get a 1% yep. discount. We can't do that either. Yeah, that's what you're saying. That's, that's crazy. I've, n- I've never heard. This is the first I've ever heard of that. So, so I don't know what to say to you, Amanda. It sounds like at least in Maryland that you can't. I, I think each state probably has its own rules, but I like your idea of helping. I think you could just don't focus on it being part of the real estate sale. Focus it being a part of building relationships and offering charitable donations by you creating events and your deals will come from that. So don't offer a special discount. Just create events that raise money and awareness around whatever it is, the organization that you're wanting to promote. And then when people come out to the event, you could say, if any of you ever choose to work with us on the list side by side, then you offer that audience a discount verbally. Anyone that's here today, which you would assume it's a majority of the people that fit that specific group that you're looking at. I love charity events. We do quarterly charity events is our intention. Um, and we love to just support whatever's important to our agents. So if I have an agent that comes to me and says, ABC organization really matters to me, I say, awesome. I'll give you $500 to help promote. We can host at the office. We can eat all the food and drink the beer of our office and we'll get ancillary businesses to help support it. But they have to do everything. And it's funny how often someone says, well, I don't want to have to do all that. It's like, oh, you just wanted my money and write a check. I can do that without you. I hate when people ask me for money and they're not willing to put in work. Asking for money is the easiest thing in the world. I'm never going to give someone money. I would rather use my influence of 100,000 people to help spread the word and put a big event together because that's going to generate tens of thousands of dollars rather than me making a $500 check the box donation. Thank you. One more comment or question before we wrap. We've got three minutes. Vince, we're going to end with you. Um, so that, that's funny you brought that up about the client events, charity events. So that's a big part of our business as well. We're struggling now because we can't do it here. Just yeah. Virtual events, baby. I, uh, it just doesn't seem the same for me. So I was curious if you're doing anything different. But yeah, we're not. I've seen it. I've seen it done. Are you guys tired of their virtual events? I mean, I'm just tired of them. I see all these big conferences now. Tony Robbins just did his first one a couple of days ago. I was just invited to speak at a big mortgage lenders conference that's coming up in September. KWRI, what is the YP? KWYP is doing a big virtual event. Ugh, we're so tired. Everyone just wants a human interaction. I don't want a virtual event. We were, we consider doing our event virtual. We had tons of people say, we'll do it virtual. And we were like, no. Nah. 
we don't want to do it virtual. People are tired of this. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. I, I hope this is not the new norm. Like I'm good at in a coaching setting, but for an event, I kind of feel like it's more fun. You get around people. All right, guys. Well, that's our ending. Thank you for hanging out this long. I really appreciate a reminder podcast. Make sure to take advantage of that. We've gotten a lot of great episodes recorded here in the last couple of weeks. And then also all of these are recorded. So of course, you know, you can watch the first 30 minutes just for the topical if you don't want to get into Q&A. And then of course, stick around for the 30 minutes after if you want to hear the Q&A session. As you can see, anything and everything gets discussed in Q&A. There are no rules. So it's the time for us to come together and just kind of have fun together. So appreciate you guys being here and have a great week. Be safe over the 4th of July weekend. Well, that's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed our high-level team leader training. Be sure to take advantage of the following trainings that go into the details of exactly how to implement the topics that we're covering on these high-level calls. If you want to learn more information about our high-level team leader training product, you can go out to EliteRealEstateSystems.com or schedule a customized one-on-one -on -one call with our Director of Growth at ERSDemoCall.com. Right, 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 right.